Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, uh, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and uh, become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Uh, Today's episode is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. Thanks so much for your support. You can support the show at support.greatdetectives.net. Um, I'm actually recording this program the day it was supposed to air. Uh, somehow or another, we had uh, a bit of a mix-up where uh, the Mr. Moto recording didn't get recorded, and yesterday people heard uh, Johnny Dollar. I uh, apologize for that mix-up, and I'm doing what I can to rectify it. So, uh, fortunately, I did not have the commentary I originally recorded, so I'm re-recording that commentary uh, for Mr. Moto. Uh, today's episode is called Smokescreen, uh, and there was one lost episode in between, so let's go ahead and we'll take a listen. This is Mr. Moto, Mr. I.A. Moto. NBC presents the world's greatest international secret agent, Mr. I.A. Moto, the popular Japanese character created by Pulitzer Prize winner John P. Marquand. With the straightforwardness of his American heritage and with the subtlety of his Oriental ancestors, Mr. Moto is fighting the war against communism ruthlessly and bravely. His only weapons are his brains his courage, and his fabulous knowledge of the world from Nome to Cape Horn, from Cape Town to Murmansk. Tonight's story, The Smokescreen, starring Mr. Moto, Mr. I.A. Moto. The boy, unbelievably young, writhed on the floor of my New York apartment. His legs convulsed in the rope which tied them together. His thin adolescent wrists strained hopelessly at the handcuffs. It is impossible not to feel sympathy for a human being possessed by such a devil. He had bitten his forefinger almost through. He screamed about a white crippled cat that clawed at him. There were hollows of anguish under his eyes. His skin glistened bloodlessly, and his throat stretched with suffering. Mr. Moto, please, please! Tell me the truth, Sasha. Melt me a cat and I will. Please, Mr. Moto, melt me some of God's medicine. I can stand it much longer than you, Zash, and I have plenty of time. I'm going crazy, crazy! Zash, there are a hundred tons of opium somewhere on Manhattan Island. You know where. Now, tell me. I can't. They'll kill me. They won't. They will. They're devils. Please, Mr. Morto. I'm an addict. I'm hooked. Give it to me. You can break the habit, Sash. I'll help you. You can be strong again because you are young. I can't kick it, I tell you. I'm hooked. And I'm not young. I'm old. <laughs>
smokescreen began in several cities of the world at once. And at first, I was the only one in America who knew of its beginnings. My information came to a friend from Tokyo, a Count Takahashi, a man of immense wealth who flew from Japan to New York to have one hour's conversation with me. Immediately after my talk, I called on Captain Beresford of the Narcotic Bureau in his New York office. Captain Beresford is a quiet, cultured man who seldom swears, seldom raises his voice. My story shocked him into a hard-faced, stunned silence. Mr. Moto, I... I can't believe it. I am afraid, Captain Beresford, that it is quite, quite true. Tell me about this Count Taka... whatever you said. Count Takahashi, an old Japanese family. My house once served his house with honor and self-sacrifice. He feels he owes me a debt. Do you mean to say he flew all the way from Japan just to talk to you for an hour? He did. You see, he knows what opium has done to the Orient. And you're sure his information is accurate? As I am that the sun will rise in the morning. He is an ex-addict himself. I see. He knows how dangerous a weapon it can be. For 700 years, this drug has debilitated, weakened, ruined. While we may think it is impossible here, the fact remains that at one time in history, 25% of the population of the Orient either smoked opium or were addicted to its morphine derivatives. Oh, but surely in the United States we're I to... wonder if we are. We are an erratic, excitable people. Opium has an enchantment that is difficult to resist. That is why it is so terribly dangerous. Yes, I know. Count Takahashi has reason to believe that four months ago... A shipment of 50 tons of raw opium was dumped on the market in Hong Kong. From there, it went to Tokyo. In Tokyo, it disappeared. How? It vanished as completely as if it had been swept into the sea. Hmm. Five days ago, an additional 200 tons did the same thing. Vanished. Disappeared from sight as completely as a tea bug in the heart of a poppy. 400 tons of opium, Captain Beresford, would supply the entire medical needs of the world for two years. The whole world for two years. Well, frankly, I just can't believe that 400 tons of anything could get into this country without the customs department getting wind of it somewhere. The drug was smuggled to America aboard a submarine owned by the Chinese Communist Navy. It was taken ashore at night on Stewart Island. The San Juan Islands? Yes, hmm. in the state of Washington. From there it came across the continent in trucks as a shipment of canned salmon. And your friend believes it has international implications? Count Takahashi assures me it is another tentacle of a communist octopus. Spread the dope of it. Devour the blood of America's young men and women. Lower the birth rate. You know, of course, that prolonged drug addiction frequently results in sterility. Certainly I know. Moto, we've got to work fast. Exactly, Captain Beresford. I have asked that this be made my personal assignment. Two weeks later, a resolution condemning the Chinese communists for permitting an international traffic in opium was adopted by the United Nations. The next month, the Kifofa Committee was informed that large quantities of the drug would be routed through Japan to America. Captain Beresford was getting alarmed. Moto, I'm getting stepped on from higher up. In what way? There were 26 rejections yesterday from one, one army recruiting center. Draftees claimed exemption on the grounds of dope addiction. 
There's been 43 cases in the last week of teachers discovering addiction in children as young as 10. 10? Isn't that sickening? Man's inhumanity to his brother was Yes, but a lot of people are getting excited. I've been given two weeks to break this case. We've got to work through the children. I have exhausted every possible alternative. Yet for me, the children are difficult. What do you mean? For a Japanese bachelor to make friends with teenagers is more difficult than it sounds. Boys, as well as girls, are suspicious of older men who attempt casual conversation. Beresford. What? I've had an idea. Jeffrey Ellington. Who's he? I read in the paper yesterday that he had recently been appointed chairman of the board of trustees of Halsey College. You know him? I knew him casually in the Orient. We were never close friends, but I would have no hesitation in telephoning him. What for? He might invite me to the school to uh, lecture on Japanese culture. Well, it doesn't sound too hopeful, but we're at the end of our rope. What's he like? I should say he is one of the most charming men I have ever met. He was born in the Orient. His father, an Englishman, left him phosphate holdings in the South Pacific, which he sold to the British government for something over two million pounds sterling. He lives in New York? Yes, in a vast house on Fifth Avenue. He's middle-aged now, and he gives his time to philosophy and his money to charity. He injured his leg as a boy. He has difficulty walking, and as a result, he's intensely interested in young people and youth work. Wants to see them get every opportunity for self-development. With that attitude and two million pounds, he might be very useful. I shall telephone him immediately and invite myself to luncheon. I don't quite understand why you're suddenly so interested in meeting young people. Jeffrey, may I be very rude and not tell you? Oh, your work. I see. Well, as a matter of fact, you've chosen a good time. In what way? Oh, do you mind if we have our liqueurs at the table instead of in the drawing room? My leg's acting up a bit today. Not at all. Uh, did I mention I've just recently been elected chairman of the Board of Trustees for Halsey College? Yes, I read about it. I'm beginning to center my ambitions in the coming generation. I'd like them not to lose faith in their elders. I would like them not to lose faith in themselves. Well, then you may count on my complete cooperation. The reason I say you've chosen a good time is that tomorrow night I'm giving a sort of graduation party for all these students. be about 200 of them. Would you like to come? You can meet every single one of them if you want to. I should like that very much. <laughs> Fine. But face supper and dancing. Come any time you like after 9 o'clock. The next night, the huge house blazed with light. Two hundred young people were dancing and drinking champagne. In a way, they were representative of the young of our country. Clean, decent, honest. Watching them whirl around the big ballroom, I felt proud, yet sadly nostalgic. These are troubled times for the young. They live in the threat of war. The draft hangs over their careers and their marriages. Tonight, there is a desperate quality to their merriment, as though they were snatching one last hour of dancing before settling their bill with a piper. Well, Mogul, enjoying yourself? How 
we not, both at the age, Jeffrey, where enjoyment to be really savored should be taken in small doses? Yes, I suppose we are. Personally, I wonder where they get the vitality. That boy there is getting his from a source other than the young lady's laughing eyes. What boy? The one dancing with the girl in the white taffeta, the big blonde boy. Have you noticed his eyes? Oh, what do you mean? The pinpoint brilliant pupils. I was introduced to him. When I shook hands with him, I was shocked. Shocked? But why? His skin temperature is at least 102. Moto, what are you getting at? I am suggesting that the young man is a morphine addict. Moto? Yes, a rather recent addiction. Well, you're... You're joking. On the contrary, Jeffrey. I'm deadly serious. Dope addiction in adolescence is all I think about these days. I'm working on it constantly. Oh, would you care to tell me about it? Certainly, if you are interested. But come along up to my desk. It's uh, upstairs, away from the rest of the house, and the party will run quite smoothly without us. Then, by all means, you lead the way. Uh, through that door. I had a small elevator installed from the garage to the fourth floor. After you. Thanks. Go ahead. The elevator's automatic. Thank you. How wonderful to be able to afford private elevators. Uh, my leg bothers me quite a bit. Stairs are difficult for me. Moto, are you sure about this dope business? business? Quite sure. Now, this is my own private hideaway. In here I can be quite cut off from the rest of the house. Uh, sit down, make yourself comfortable. Thank you. Would you like a drink? Yes, thanks. Good, good. I have some very special rye whiskey. Hanfield Royal Ark. I believe it sells in the Chambord for $25 a pony. Really? And you're wasting it on me? <laughs> Not at all. I only serve it to my very special friends. Here you are. Thank you. Hmm, what superb bouquet. You'll forgive me if I don't join you. My doctor forbids it. Certainly. Now, tell me about this dreadful business. Oh, Excuse me, won't you? This phone never rings unless it's something important. Hello? Oh, yes, Senator. I, uh, I'm afraid I can't tell you yet, but I can let you know by tomorrow noon. Well, yes, of course. I'll call you tomorrow, then. Oh, not at all. Good night. Forgive the interruption. Now, you were saying? I have been working without success for some time now on the problem of dope addiction among teenagers. Yes. I have reason to believe that Jeffrey has it suddenly gotten uh, very warm in here. Well, what? What is it? Are you ill? I help me up quickly. Well, what's the matter, Moto? I I don't know. Don't you, Moto? I do. Treffel, get over here quickly. I've found the source of our interference. Use the garage entrance and the elevator and hurry, will you? <laughs> oh, what a pity the Japanese haven't learned to mind their business. <laughs> 
time. I got here as soon as I could, Mr. Errington. Who's that? His name is Moto, and don't underestimate him. Uh, tripping about? Yes. Can you do it tonight? Sure. And get him out of here. Anybody see you come in? I drove into the garage, took the elevator. I'll pick him up and get him out of here. What did you give him? The usual. He'll be unconscious for at least three hours. Good. Okay. And he's small, isn't he? So are rattlesnakes. You coming? Yes, go ahead. All right, don't worry, Mr. Errington. Everything's okay. Anything to report? Yeah, Zasha's in the car. I don't want peddlers who are addicts themselves. It's dangerous. Zasha's okay. Take him to the house on Long Island tomorrow. No withdrawal. He'll kick it cold turkey. Tell Dr. Holliston to cut him off cold. That's an order. All right, Mr. Rangan. Anything else? Yeah, Nick got 40 new peddlers in the last week. Get young ones. Real young. 14, 13. The younger, the better. Okay. Will I put our friend in the back seat? Yes, he'll be out for three hours. Hello, Zosh. Hi. He's just hitched up the monkey. He's floating. I mean it, Trapov. He kicks it tomorrow. Okay, boss. Now, what about the chink? Oh, listen, boss. You know how I react to that kind of word. It's bigoted and disgusting. He is not Chinese. He's actually an American of Japanese descent. Well, I didn't mean anything. What are you... What are you so touchy on that stuff? Someday I'll tell you. All right, take Mr. Moto out in the boat, shoot him and dump him overboard. As far offshore as you can get and still be back by dawn. Then take Zosh out to the Long Island house and report back here to me. All right, boss. And, uh, Trepov. Yes, Mr. Rankin? Tell the good Dr. Holliston that I'm quite aware of the process involved in developing morphine from opium. Tell him I expect him to do much better. I want 5,000 decks a day out of that lab. Uh-huh. Can I go now? Yes. And I'm sorry I struck you. Someday I'll explain why I feel so strongly about it. Well, good night, Trevor. Big meathead, who's he think he's pushing around? <clears throat> All right, get over, Zosh, and stay awake. Hi, boy. I tell you, the cat's swinging high tonight. And don't wave at anybody. This is Fifth Avenue. Gentlemen, hey. I am quite capable of shooting you both. What? And don't turn around, Mr. Trepoff. Just try my apartment, if you please. Left on 72nd. And if you don't do as I tell you, I will blow your head off. Keep quite still, Trevor. I'm warning you. Come in, Captain. I got here as soon as... Hey, what's this? This is a man named Trepoff. He was commissioned by Jeffrey Errington to kill me. Errington? Incredible, isn't it? Errington tried to drug me with chloral hydrate and whiskey. He made a slight error, which I will explain later. 
I wish to have been taken out in a boat. I overheard enough information to send Arrington and his gang to jail for 20 years. Take this man and book him for felonious assault, attempted murder, whatever you like. All right. What? What's the matter with the boy? Hiya, copper. Having fun? That is Zosh. He's riding morphine a million miles away. Okay, now come on, you. You can't make it stick, copper, never. Uh, leave me your handcuffs, will you, Captain? What are you going to do? Perform an experiment. Whatever you say. Thank you. And come back here as soon as you can. And then began the heartbreaking vigil. The boy dozed on the floor alone in a world of drugged enchantment. I tied his feet together, restrained the thin wrists with Beresford handcuffs. By the time the captain got back, Zash was conscious. Normally defiant and belligerent. Think I'm going to spill anything to you guys or nuts? We've got lots of time, Zosh. By five in the morning, he was white-faced and pleading. Listen, Moto. I've got two decks with me. The three of us can jump together. Come on, Captain. There's a needle in a box in my pocket. Please. No, Zosh. No. By seven, he was crying. By ten, he was screaming. By noon, he was suffering unbelievably. The hacking attic's cough racked at his frail lungs. A thousand devils tore at every whip-lashed, quivering nerve. I'm dying, I tell you. I'm dying, dying, dying! At one in the afternoon, he talked. Names, addresses, everything. Captain Beresford took it down. And then... Because we were afraid complete withdrawal might kill him, we called a doctor. The doctor gave him two grains in his right arm. As always, the results appalled me. As the morphine hit, his eyes became dewy bright. The glow of health returned to his cheeks. He went quite happily with the doctor to Bellevue. I wish every kid in America could have seen that. If they knew what it could do, they'd... It's so rotten. Yes. Well, take 20 men to the Long Island house. You'll catch Dr. Holliston doing the converting. Send another detail to raid the warehouse in the Bronx. Right. Oh, and what about Arrington? Mr. Arrington I shall deal with personally. In the Fifth Avenue house? Yes. He really moves quite slowly. He injured his hip as a boy. I shall step out of the elevator with a gun in one hand and this in the other. What is it, a knife? In Japan, it is the national form of honorable suicide. Literally translated, it means belly cut. You know it better, perhaps, as harakiri. <coughs> Ripple, I, I, I... Sign it. No. Now take that knife away from my eyelids. Harrington, there is no time for discussion. I, I have a right to, to a trial, a, a free democratic trial. Harrington, before... you have no right at all. This morning I watched a boy suffer agonies. But what is the use of telling you? You know. In five seconds I shall go to work with this knife. <laughs> Believe me, you will not enjoy it. I, listen, I... One, 
Two. You're insane, you're... Three. Four. All right, all right, I will. I will, for heaven's sake, take that knife away from my eyelids. Find it. Thank you. And now, before I take you to Captain Beresford, one question. Why? What is behind this monstrous inhumanity? You've no idea. Short of pathological insanity, none. I... I'm a Eurasian. You... You're what? Yes. I'm surprised you didn't guess. I really look very white, don't I? Gifted, educated. But I committed an unpardonable sin. My mother was a Singalese peasant. I knew it. I knew there must be something. White Asiatics forbid my cleaning toilets. They also forbid me to enter their clubs or their homes. I'm neither white nor yellow nor black. I'm not a European. I'm not an Asiatic. What am I? Tell me. It is so useless to beat against... Useless? The... It's hell. I'm nothing. The wandering, hopeless, marginal man. Outside of a barefoot, savage, peasant girl, there isn't one woman in Asia who would marry me. If I marry a white woman here and take her to Singapore, what do I let her in for? Insults, heartbreak, misery. I want to live in the East. Singapore is the only civilized city in the world, but I can't, I can't, I can't join their stinking bourgeois club. But ancient democracy... Democracy! I spit at it! I hate it! I hate the world! Don't you see it is this... Do you know how I was crippled? A gang of melees beat my hip to a pulp in a Singapore street fight. Hate. Moto, you don't know the meaning of the world. And every grain of morphine in the veins of an American boy means one less enemy for communism, and I don't care who the boy is. You must care. I don't, not even for Zosh. Zosh? Zosh is my son! Well, now you know. Now you can take me down to your police station and introduce me to justice. Do you know why she's pictured with a bandage over her eyes? Because if justice could see, she'd throw up. Moto, we've done it. Twenty-six indictments and charging conspiracy to import opium. We've got every single one of them. And recovered the opium? Over 500 tons of it. Good. Then the smoke screen has lifted. I have one of my own. But surely everything is quite, quite clear. That whiskey Arrington gave you the night of the party. Why didn't you drink it? He had to be dramatic. He told me it was Hanfield Royal Ark Special Rye. It so happened it is distilled in England. During the war, the warehouse was bombed. All but five cases of Hanfield Royal Ark were destroyed. They never manufactured that particular blend again. But Arrington is wealthy. Wasn't it possible? No, he... no, no. Of the five remaining cases, Sir Graham Hanfield gave three to King Farouk of Egypt as a wedding gift on the occasion of his first marriage. Don't tell me that the other two were... Yes. In return for a trifling service some years ago, Sir Graham gave them to me. Moto, <laughs> you're incredible. Don't you ever make a mistake? Sometimes, sometimes I wince and lash out inside when people call me a dirty Jap. I was born in San Francisco. I am as American 
As you are. No, but surely these people are... Uh... Well, they're... That is true. They are ignorant and narrow, and their number is decreasing. Yes, I think we're growing up. Slowly, maybe, but growing. I hope it is not too slowly. I hope we achieve maturity before it is too late. That is one way everybody can fight communism. Simply by growing up and out of prejudice. It is a battle in which every one of us can be a soldier. have just heard the world's greatest international secret agent, Mr. I.A. Moto, in Smokescreen. James Monk starred as Mr. Moto. The script was written and directed by Harry W. Junkin, produced by Carol Irwin. Others in the cast were Ross Martin, Bob Haig, Bernard Grant, and Edwin Bruce. The music was transcribed. This is Fred Collins speaking, and here with a preview of next week's story is Mr. I.A. Moto. The poet Sain Chua has written, A man who lives a falsehood must each day die a little. Next week, the story of truth twisted. A journey into horror made by a gracious woman and her desperate son, both caught in a sickening web of blackness. And now may sleep fall upon your eyes as softly as poppy petals on a placid pool. May your soul be blessed with repose, your dreams with enchantment. Welcome back. Definitely a very uh, dramatic episode, and um, with it's touched on a lot of hot button topics. It's pretty rare, I think, for a golden age uh, drama to uh, you know in the same half hour program to touch on drug the drug trade, communism, racial prejudice. A pretty uh, strong stuff for 1951. Mr. Moto. Uh, Perhaps already emerging as one of radio's most um, ruthless and interrogators, uh, which isn't far out of line from some of the 1950s uh, or the Mr. Moto movies, uh, when you think about it. All right, well, that'll do it for today. Join us tomorrow for Sherlock Holmes, and hopefully we'll be back on track next Tuesday, another episode of Mr. Moto. In the meantime, uh, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Uh, from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.